I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult. Exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. This, in fact, is a new episode of Astro Radio Z. I almost thought it would never happen. The last few weeks, I've been trying to schedule one particular show, and it has not been happening. I'm not going to give up. We're still going to have this guest on at some point, but it just wasn't meant to be this week or last week. So... I brought on some of my good buds to sit and we're going to talk about the new animated Batman movie, Batman, the killing joke, which came out for a special engagement. I guess I thought it was only supposed to be one day, but it it turned out to be two. Am I am I correct there, Scott? Yeah, uh, it was uh, only supposed to be like a one night thing. I, I can't I don't know if Fathom Events did it. They usually do a lot of these things. But the demand was so high, like there is like so much interest, uh, way more than your typical DC animated film. So they added a second night to it. Oh, that was interesting because I remember Ian from Talks with uh, Rhythm Podcast. He was talking to me and told me that uh, he had tickets for last night. And I I literally on Monday night rushed home from work. Amanda was working that night and I got home and I had to start downloading footage because I just started editing uh, a movie this week. Uh, I had to download footage in a big rush. And then I had to rush to the theater and I got there five minutes late to the 730 show. So I don't know exactly what happens in the first five minutes of uh, the killing joke, but I think I got the gist. But uh, then after I watched that movie, I learned, oh, there were two showings that night. I had no idea. Um, I could have just went later, (laughs) but I didn't uh, because I didn't care. I was really surprised by the amount of people that went to the show. I, I kind of expected where I live right now in uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, I kind of expected no one to show up, but surprisingly, the theater was pretty full. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy from the uh, Hunnic Outcast uh, podcast. Jeremy, how was your theater when you went to see it? Here's the thing that was interesting because I rushed there. I heard that it was a limited engagement and well, I hope you're happy internet because they tried once again, like Ghostbusters to go on and spoil this. So I figured people were going to go there and go rabble, rabble, rabble. And I'm rushing there like crazy. And parking lot's full. And I see a lot of people in shirts and two cosplayers, one dressed up as Joker and one dressed up as Batgirl. And I'm like, oh, it's on. And there was a huge line. And I pre-ordered my tickets. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be like, it's on. So I rush in and I go into the theater. And it's an IMAX, no less. This is a smart. Really? This, This they took... They took the IMAX 3D auditorium that they use at Cinemark, and I saw this at an IMAX theater, and I was like, Cinemark? And I, I don't know if I would like that. Oh, but it was – oh, let me tell you something. The sound was brilliant. And oh, I, I bet. In, and unfortunately, I walk in, and yeah, there were a lot of people in line. Everything you know, The pocket was full, but you know what? The theater, people walk in late, but unfortunately the theater was, I would say, 
a third, and I couldn't understand why. And I was like, are they going for the 10 o'clock show? And it wasn't too crowded. And then, yeah, I, I mean, Phantom is doing this a lot where they'll show a Phantom event a week later, like with Rift Tracks. Yeah. But I guess what happened was because they said, well, if you go – and, and you get a digital goodie with a phantom event like with uh, Rift Tracks, you are entered to win the digital copy of Killing Joke or get 20% off of the DVD. Oh, that's rad. Um, well, you also got, and I thought this was true, but they didn't do this. They were going to do a, a live Q&A. What they did instead was um, they had a 10-minute documentary where Mark Hamill discussed what he was doing with Star Wars, why he – became Joker and why he admitted that he was being pompous about saying, I don't want to do Joker anymore because I, you know, leave the party before the party leaves you. And then, oh, I shot myself in the foot. You know what? I'm coming back. And he's coming back for not only this, but that virtual reality PlayStation game in October. So he's not done yet. But, but nobody, I'll tell you, my theater, I don't know what it was like for your oratoriums, but my oratorium, People were still pumped and they were reactive. Oh, yeah. And they were laughing and, and they were like, yeah, and you have to get up and cheer because why wouldn't you? It's Mark Hamill back and it's Kevin Conroy and it's Tara Strong and Bruce Tim is, you know, it's like, but then again, we're, we'll get into it, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, did they, you, so you got moved to IMAX. Did they soak you from IMAX prices? Let me tell you something. You want to talk about rabble, rabble, rabble. I want to go once upon a time, IMAX, I think, was in a museum and it was probably the same price. And it was like, OK, fine, because you watch like a five minute movie about, you know, uh, the black hole, whatever, something. Inter- you know, I-, I love IMAX. Please don't get me wrong. But fifteen dollars for that gigantic screen in this day and age. Yeah, they soaked me. But you know what? I did not mind getting wet on this ride because seeing the Killing Joke in IMAX, for everything that I've seen in IMAX 3D and IMAX and blah, 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 you know what? This one played a great game, put up or shut up. So, no, I didn't feel cheated for IMAX the Killing Joke. Well, well, Fathom typically charges a little bit more for their events anyway, right? I mean, I know because I actually go to a lot of those riff tracks things. Uh, so, and I know that it's instead of costing like, you know, 10 50, which is what it usually is down here. It usually costs me closer to like 13, 14 bucks. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I, I think the joke was on us, but you know what? I'm here's why I'm kind of okay with going into an IMAX theater because every time I go in Ghostbusters, I walked out with a Ghostbusters trap flashlight novelty oh man i want one (laughs) with with, uh, suicide squad next week i am guaranteed the funko uh joker suicide squad keychain for free (laughs) so and with this one you kind of got a coupon if you if you didn't want to go on you know for 20 percent off for the blu-ray dvd which apparently have more features i don't know if they have a commentary but we got two of the features which was great you know what it was money well spent Andrew, what was the theater like uh, for your showing? It's pretty good. I mean, it's a, you know, I, I was surprised to see so many people there. It was kind of a last minute decision of mine to 
yeah to go to it i've never gone to any of these this was like the first one that i've gone to um because one i'm not a big riff tracks person i just don't i'm not into that well, I, I usually <laughs> give my passes to, away because i mean they're they're for whatever you know what i mean but uh right. i saw the live shakespeare thing that was cool so let's get into it boys we fight we we all got soaked for our monies on a monday night rushed to the theater Went to go see a Batman animated movie, which honestly, I never thought I'd be sitting in a movie theater in reclining chairs watching, which essentially was a filthier (laughs) episode of Batman the Animated Series. I personally have never had the opportunity in order to see something like this in a theater situation. So it was unique for me, and I was actually really excited to sit and watch it because one... Back in the day, I had this comic book, and I read it a bunch, mostly because the artwork was phenomenal, and it was, for the time, a pretty racy comic. Not as much um, as some of the other ones I'd be reading, like Weapon X was far more violent, but what was insinuated in The Killing Joke was far darker and more sinister than anything that was in a Wolverine comic. It's been an awful long time since I actually have read The Killing Joke. So walking into this cartoon was like me walking in with a fresh set of eyes. I knew some of the details. I remembered some of the stuff. I obviously remember some of the iconic imagery uh, from the comic that they actually pretty much, you know, spot on nailed some of the, the panels um, in this. But I was walking in totally oblivious to the story um and i have to say the first for the first act of this movie i was lost because i was just like i don't remember any of this <laughs> whatsoever i don't know what this is i know uh, barbara gordon's a major component of this film but i don't remember any of this andrew did you happen to read this when you were growing up yeah man it's like one of the only i had that there was i had that and i had the um the Batman movie adaptation. Those are the only Batman comics I ever had. And uh, I wanted anything that was controversial back then. That was the age, you know, the the age that I was. And um, I remembered it being more about the Joker and his backstory, you know, and um, getting into more of like this, his psychology and stuff like that. I don't remember any of the Batman Batgirl stuff like at all. So I think they added that stuff. Yes. That's all added that, that none of that was in the, story because like i was waiting to see the joker uh because i remember being disturbed by joker's backstory and uh i i remember um being worried going to see the tim burton movie that they were going to show that happening (laughs) right you know for some reason i remember thinking that so uh i it was a it was a whole different thing than i remembered but i did like you i remembered some of that great art that they you know, they did their best to translate that into the, the DC animated look. But um, yeah, it was like it was like interspersed with a it was like almost like combined with a new movie. Almost yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, it's almost it, well, from what I understand, this actually because they all these companies are now trying to create these cinematic universes for their properties. DC not only has the cinematic, which is, you know, the live action stuff. They also have the animated universe mm-hmm. and the two don't coincide. And no. From what uh, I b- believe, uh, the beginning w- was an extension of a Batman Beyond cartoon. Am I correct, Scott? Well, 
Uh, yes and no. They do on Batman Beyond, and you got to forgive me. I'm not actually huge. I haven't watched a ton of Batman Beyond. There, they do allude to. Uh, I think in the Revenge of the Joker movie or something, they do allude to that in the past there was a relationship uh, between uh, Bruce, uh, between Batman and Barbara Gordon. Uh, but there are, yeah, there's uh, the animated universe, there's the cinematic universe, and there's also the TV shows, and no, neither, never the twain shall meet. They're all their own thing. Um, and all the cinematic movies don't necessarily coincide. Uh, for instance, I think don't think that this I don't think that this Killing Joke movie is going to be in canon for the uh, I would be surprised if it's in canon for the uh, cinema for the animated movies to come because uh, it was the the comic story was originally not supposed to be in canon. No, you're correct and, on that. And I and I don't think that you know what I as a really quick aside I don't think the Alan Moore stories should be. In uh, in can in canon uh, this uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, but then they did turn this into kind of canon in the comics, and they keep keep doing the same thing because uh, I hear in the new uh, DC comics they've just said that Watchmen is canon now. So, well, oh, Watchmen as of the the new fifty two, they started a whole new series which was like a prequel series, and now they're extending that. Yeah. This, I think I think it I think it worked better as its own thing, and that's how I felt about the Killing Joke, in its original form too. Not not to cast any aspersions onto uh, Oracle or anything, you know. But well, right, there's Birds of Prey, and the problem with the Birds of Prey TV show, they kind of, and it's been years since I saw it, but I do remember because Mark Hamill had a cameo. Uh, apparently, he shot Selena Kyle and Batman was so uh, heartbroken that he left Gotham, but Barbara apparently... Yeah, yeah, you can get to that. <laughs> This doesn't work, yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not... Yeah. No, 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 believe me. It, 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 but here's the thing, Sloan Peterson from Ferris Bueller became Harley Quinn. Hmm. So, anyway, um. anyway, what happens is that, yeah, Barbara is paralyzed. She, she's still Oracle. And that was a thing too, is that she became this iconic character because it, it always went back to Batgirl was created because people bitched and moaned and complained that Batman and Robin were spending too much time together. So on the 66 show, they had, well, you know why that was happening. Wicca, yeah, they, wicca, yeah, wicca. yeah. Yeah. So first you had Ian Harriet and that yeah. was, so then we brought in Batgirl, and the problem was is that she wore purple, had red hair, got kidnapped at Scooby-Doo. And then I would say by the 90s, by the animated TV show, by seasons three and four, I started to take Batgirl seriously. And then, of course, Joel Schumacher shat on everything with Batman and Robin. We then go to – well, actually, we should rewind the Killing Joke in '88, where an editor just said, "Cripple the bitch." And That's a quote too. Are you serious? Yeah, that was yeah. a quote from. Well, that, that that explains a lot about what happens to the character in this movie and how she's treated. But go on, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, Barbara, once she became Oracle, which was she was wheel bound, that she she became like a second Alfred in a way because she was in the wheelchair. And then the Birds of Prey, where she was the leader, it was probably the most empowering character. And then in 2011, with the new 52, 
it kind of it, it, they went through this whole thing where she went through rehabilitation and fans are going rabble rabble for a few minutes and then Gail Simone came in and wrote some great stories and they kind of reenacted what they did with her like in the comic where she's about to get shot but she's been working out a lot where her legs are a lot you know farmer so like when somebody tries to shoot at her we see her like with this button down shirt and the panties but she's showing that she's not afraid and she can kick ass again and she's not going to let lightning strike twice and that's pretty much what happened from killing joke to new 52 but then when gail simone left it kind of got a little bit dare i say back guano crazy the thing with the killing joke was it was a combination of and i do have the deluxe edition so alan moore and brian boland and oh god um i can't pronounce the last name for brian they they weren't given a task but alan really wasn't expecting to write anything that important it was just going to be a one shot the 80s had what if for the Marvel Universe and DC had yeah. Elseworlds? Elseworlds, and, yeah. Right. So this was just supposed to be a one-shot Elseworlds story, which it is. It has nothing to do with anything. It's kind of like Dark Knight Returns, and it's a graphic novel. But Alan Moore, we see what he's written, and, and it's pretty much a philosophical and psychological story about how Joker just will do anything to get Batman to crack and Gordon to crack, and he's going to go after the family, kind of like what he did with Death in the Family. And that's all that it's really about, but over the years, because people like, oh, Joker has a backstory now, but we thought he did in Detective Comics 151, uh, the mysterious Red Hood, and Joker claimed that he was trying to rob a playing card factory, but he had to go through a chemical plant, and because... He got lost in a tube. He became Joker. See, this is what the problem I have with comic books in general and the and the reason why it being just a singular entity works so well and why I like the, the kind of the one-off shoots of these comics is that it takes these these characters when in these offshoots and, and tries to wrap a, some sort of bigger picture story, not necessarily concerning continuity and continuity in comic books is the death knell for me. Oh yeah. It's impossible when you have that many characters and that much going on and you're trying to sell all this to keep continuity and keep it interesting and keep it good and keep it making sense. And unfortunately, and maybe this is, you know, to the, to the plus side of DC for keeping these, multiple universes in the animated, the TV and the cinematic separate. Maybe that's a good thing because Marvel's now trying to integrate everything all together. And it it seems good and I I like it, but at the same time, that's got to be so restrictive as a creative individual that gets like everyone, you know, puts uh, so much emphasis on directors you know, and when directors get hired for these Marvel movies now, it doesn't matter anymore. You're just kind of like a herder trying to wrangle sheep because you, all the it's written by committee. It's produced by committee. And it's, you know, not saying that this isn't a good thing because the Marvel movies are turning out good. But I, I find it more interesting when you take chances and you tell different and new and weird stories 
um, with these characters, which is why The Dark Knight Returns is such an iconic book, because it took an idea of putting Batman as an old man and having him in the last, like his last hurrah, going out and trying to prove that he can still do it. And maybe he might die, but he doesn't care. And the killing joke, from what I understood, is essentially supposed to be the very final encounter of the Joker and Batman. And unfortunately, what didn't work for me uh, to get this to, to to stop giving this history lesson to my my uh, listeners, the thing that 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 unfortunately didn't work for me to, for the Killing Joke in the beginning was this need for it to tie itself to something else. Untrue. Uh, I don't. I, I, this is going to be my opinion. It's just like looking at it as a singular thing for me walking in and watching it it didn't and and this is unfortunate for me because on the you know uh, on a whole i think the killing joke is really interesting even in the the cartoon form but the but the opening section which is essentially um a story about uh, like a, a preamble about barbara gordon in a in a case that she's trying to prove herself on to batman and she's trying to be this individual and she's trying to break out of um, kind of like the shadow of Batman while she kind of has this weird infatuation with him. It's it didn't feel to me like it needed to be in this story. It didn't really add anything to the story. And to be honest, it overtly sexualized after I just watched Ghostbusters, which is the new Ghostbusters, which honestly is one of the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best movie of the last five years. And it, it shows such strong female characters that don't need to be sexualized, that were, were strong and kick ass without having to focus on their tits or their ass or having to be, uh, you know, controlled by a man or anything like this to walk into this movie where it is the epitome of that, where it's the, you know, she is a sexualized being at Every moment, even if, you know, it's empowering and she's kicking ass, she is still so overtly sexualized that it by time she eventually gets raped in this movie. It was just like, why that whole opening section just to me felt like it was so out of place in this day and age. Um, Andrew, what did you think of the beginning section of this flick? I just didn't want to have to know anything going, you know what I mean? I just, I thought I would just watch, watch a movie. Cause my, my feeling on the comic was always like, the only reason I read it is cause I knew I wouldn't have to know anything. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not into that stuff. I don't, I don't give a crap about the whole universe or anything. I just want to, you know, that's what the killing joke was supposed to have been. It was supposed to stand on its own. So I was like, yeah, I'll dig this the, the way I don't have to, you know, that's why I don't do TV. Right. I don't need I don't want to I want to commit to all that. <laughs> I'm a movie person. So, so I was like, what is this? I thought I really thought it was going to be about the Joker. And, you know, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. The Ghostbusters are just a rarity. I mean, I don't think anyone was ready. I don't think we're ready for a movie like that. I was you still aren't. But, you know, there's that's just far. I mean, it's it's it has ruined me for everything that I've watched. And I'm not the only one that feels that way. So. Um, you know, with Batgirl, I was like, my kid watches DC superhero girls that has Batgirl in it. So it was like, and I'm a big fan of the Wonder Woman DC animated movie yeah, from 09. Yeah. That's oh, that was really good. Of, that's like one of the best 
comic book movies I've ever seen. So um, I really just wanted to get to all the Joker stuff and there wasn't enough of it. And I think, man, if, if I if I was to like really try to figure out why they did that, I think it's because uh, Killing Joke has a reputation for being, you know, rough and tumble, controversial, whatever from like, you know, back when I was in junior high. But I think now they were like, oh, let's just add some more, you know, racy content or, you know what I'm saying? But I think they get that wrong. And instead, I think they freak people out because I went with some big DC fans and you could hear people in the audience going like, oh, shit, you know? And you're like, what are they? I, this movie's freaking them out and pissing them off, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think intentionally so. It, 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 I mean, it is being touted as the first R-rated Batman movie, um, which, which I honestly, I don't think it it warrants it. Maybe content, no. like thematically, it's it's darker than your average animated Batman movie or your Batman movie in general. But still, I think the R-rated thing was a bit of a gimmick, to be honest. To Scott, what did uh-huh. you think of the opening of this flick? Well, just really quick, the R rating, I think, was a gimmick because as as rough as this movie gets, and it does get pretty rough, I would say I like a lot of these DC animated movies. I actually like them better than the theatrical films. And um, uh, I would say that the Batman Assault on Arkham movie, which was the first suicide, which is the real first Suicide Squad movie, that was way with exploding heads and a more graphic sex scene in the movie. I'm like, that was more r-rated than this i thought but the opening bit i what i think i think their initial uh intention was good and i actually enjoyed the the story as a whole the 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 opening bit with batgirl because i think that it's in uh the killing joke the killing joke to remember is a very short yeah graphic novel they had to stretch it out but so how do you do that well one of the biggest controversies it's ever had is that Barbara Gordon is basically only in that story to be victimized is the, is how a lot of people read that uh, over the years. So she's always been there to been victimized. So like, okay, let's flesh her out. Let's make, put in a prologue where we show why she was Batgirl, why she hung it up and we make her a more three dimensional character that way. Okay. That's good. I like that. But as you guys said, she is sexualized right away, and then they have to put in the moment where she does the you know horizontal batusi there <laughs> with uh, with Batman, and um, it's tasteful. It, it presented tastefully. I mean, yeah, through all I the agree. Con- through all the controversy that's happening, you'd expect it to suddenly turn into Debbie does Dallas the animated film, but it's not yeah. like that. It's actually shown very tastefully. However, I mean, it's the moment where you say, man, a dude wrote this, didn't he? Yeah. Without, yeah, yeah. without ever even consulting, because it seems like, yep, the only way they could make her a three-dimensional character is to make her this character with, that uh, exists along with um, Batman. And, uh, you know, uh, can't be here tonight, but Glenn, our, our friend Glenn Bittner did an episode of his B-movie bunker on this, and he hit the nail on the head where he says it just – it wasn't necessary because it seemed like they put it there so that Batman would be more upset when what happens to Barbara Gordon happens to Barbara Gordon later in the movie. He didn't need that because his – the relationship has always been kind of more parental and everything, so you didn't need to turn this into a sexual thing. 
but it seemed like that was the only way they knew how to write. They wanted to write a three-dimensional woman, but it seemed like that's the only way they knew how to write her, which is kind of offensive. Even though the story itself and the way it was done is pretty good. No. I, 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 here, here are my two cents with this opening. I knew they had to fill the gap, and I knew they had to bring in why Batgirl uh, was crippled and how Batman was going to handle this. The problem I have with all this is they kind of treated it like that sketch on Saturday Night Live with, uh, what was this, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow because they didn't know how to do a Black Widow movie and they had it where Ultron was a romantic interest. I think the problem they have with this is it, it, it does open like a romantic movie because Batgirl is talking in the first-person narrative. Then she has the gay best friend at the library – she she has the temper tantrum about how she's dated a yoga instructor and he's the best student you know she's the best student he's ever had and once they get to the sex part unfortunately you bring it in this character that's supposed to be a joker wannabe and I figured okay this guy is gonna rape Barbara or do something because he he does give her a roofie and he's about to rape her and she just happens to hide in a vault when he was trying to rob a vault uh, and Batman comes in and says, well, he's objectifying you and I want you off the case. And she gets offended by this because she figures, well, well I'm a woman. And, you know, they, they go through all this thing and Barbara's just not getting that. It's her emotions that are getting the best of her. And had she just backed off, then she and Bruce wouldn't have this sexual tension. The other thing that I, I have a problem with, with the sex scene is that, People in the audience are like going – they weren't groaning. They're like, oh my god, this is actually happening. But the way that it was done, it was like Batman didn't really know how to handle the sex scene because – I don't know. Just like she took off a shirt. They they do it. They pan up to this gargoyle as it was supposed to say like they're doing something wrong and, and because whether he's a parental figure or not. And then the third issue is that it's been a few days. And she calls up Batman and goes, oh, we just had sex. It doesn't have to mean anything. I don't care. Like we're going into a romantic comedy or a romantic movie, and then all of a sudden that segment's over. Now we're just going to go to the killing joke like the first 30 minutes yeah. never happened. This yeah. Paris-France character is never discussed again. Oh, yeah. He, 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 here's the thing, though. It's like Batman says. He'll smile at you before he slices your throat. He's a sociopath. He's manipulative. He, he's taking down this crime lord. He, he's stealing the bank accounts. He's smooth. He, he's got like this I don't care personality. Okay, I get these trying to be a joker, want to be, and he's trying to find every way to get inside Batgirl's head. Even when Batgirl is pounding at him towards the end of the segment, he's just looking smiling and going, oh, it must be the time of the month. That's something Joker would say. And then all of a sudden she keeps pounding at him and, she, and she's saying like you ruined everything. And I, then I look at Batman, and I'm like, okay, are they going to reverse the roles? Is she going to be Harley Quinn, and he's going to be Joker? Is that what they're trying to say? No. He goes away, and we go right into the Killing Joke, and it kind of felt like those compilations I used to read in the yeah. 80s where they had all the stories. It has nothing to do – I mean, yeah. it would work if it had something to do with Killing Joke, but then it's over. It's like, okay, this is what you wanted. Now we can give you Killing Joke. And that's where it pissed me off. 
Yeah, that was that was a problem I had too. That I was gonna uh, uh, mention is that the problem was that that it, despite my misgivings, you know, it was still a decent storyline. But then we go right into Killing Joke. They could have at least mixed it up a little bit. They could have somehow introduced the Joker character, had them tangled before when she was Batgirl. They could have uh, somehow done more foreshadowing, something where it wouldn't feel like it was two separate movies. But as it stands, I think it feels like two separate movies. It, yeah, it absolutely feels like two separate movies. And unfortunately, I think if they were going to do that, um, they could have just made an anthology film with with another Batman story and the killing joke, um, but or just made that its own film, because I think the the Batgirl character could be interesting. But this bat in context of the killing joke and what happens to that character, this Batgirl character was not interesting she unfortunately was nothing more than a sexual object to be victimized again andrew when it, when it came down to it do you, do you think that maybe the whole barbara character was just totally um, misguided in this flick i honestly would have been really happy with a straight uh, adaptation of uh, the Killing Joke graphic novel. I don't think that it was too short to be uh, uh, presented in animated form. A good writer, if it didn't quite meet the standards for feature, could have you know, expanded it in a way that was true to the original story. I think there's this idea that everybody just wants to see a Batman movie and not a Joker movie, but that's, that's not, I don't think that's true, man. You know, mm-hmm. well, wh- how long were the the uh, Dark Knight Returns movies? They weren't full full length, were they? They were like seventy minutes, right? They were seventy minutes of parts one and two, but then they started to sell the deluxe edition, where it comes close to two and a half hours. Okay, yeah, so, because they those were pretty faithful adaptations of that work, and I thought it they were great. I absolutely loved them. And that's the other question I have too about all this because. I don't get it. Once we do get it to the killing joke, here's what I'm confused about is that they take out possibly one of the greatest monologues from that novel. And they also kind of butcher my third favorite monologue from the novel. The other thing I'm not getting to is that once we get to our feature presentation – that there's apparently, and I don't recall this being in the novel, where we have dentists that were supposed to come back from a convention and they were captured or murdered and the bank accounts were cleared out. We see them in this warehouse and up on the stage is a podium with a microphone, so we know the Joker's leaving a calling card. I'm kind of curious that once we get to what we want to, where the greatest moment as the book opens and when we get to it in the movie where Batman goes to the asylum and tries to sit down and have a talk with the Joker while he's playing solitaire in the shadows, we could have gotten that in the first 30 minutes with the thing yeah. with the dentist and, and Batman trying to figure out, because even when, when he is talking to Alfred, he's trying to analyze, we could have gotten why these two are always at ends. It's been on documentaries. It's been talked about the death on podcasts. I would have preferred 
a Joker Batman build up to the asylum and the killing joke than Batman and Barbara. I'm never going to watch those first 30 minutes ever again because it has nothing to do with anything. And I feel that when we go through the asylum, which is great, they, they changed like one major thing with Harvey Dent where in the novel, I think he's trying to peer through the door here. He's dropped the coin. And I love how his evil half is trying to claw through the door to get the coin. And I thought that was a great moment. And it's it just it, it feels like something out of Quentin Tarantino where it's just Batman trying to talk to Joker about why do we have to kill each other? Why can't we just talk like civilized human beings, even though we'll get the first joke? It's not him. I like what they did with bringing back Kevin Conroy because I think these lines come out great from his mouth. And when I started to reread the graphic novel after the 90s cartoon came out, I can only think of Conroy's and Hamill's voices coming out of these characters' mouths. Unfortunately, that first 30 minutes – and I, I hate for my podcast to sound like we're totally just taking a dump on this movie because I actually liked it. Um, but the first 30 minutes really confused me when I was watching it. And then after it was done, confused me even more because it, it really takes away from the film and it doesn't add anything to it. And in, in a story that I felt in in the film as it is right now, Joker really wasn't fleshed out as much as I would have liked him to be. It felt even though it it felt cool, it felt like there was some crazy stuff in there. For some reason, I just wanted more. I wanted more of the Joker, more of the Joker's backstory. I wanted more of Batman. He was barely even in this fucking thing. My first exposure to Killing Joke came from a good friend of mine, uh, Paul Von Stetzel, who's – this guy loves this movie. (laughs) <laughs> well, he loves the book. He, uh, sorry, I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say the movie yet, but he loves the uh, the he loves the Joker character. He loves the Batman mythology. Um, he's a filmmaker and a video artist and a director himself, and his production is called Killing Joke Productions. So figure it out. And one of the things that he loved about it was, of course, that the focal point of the Killing Joke did seem to be the Joker. It wasn't. It was more of a Joker story than a Batman story. And because the Jokers, um, they've always played hide-and-seek with the Jokers' origin story, uh, never giving you an official story. And I don't really think that they meant to, to, to this to be the official one either. Uh, like I said, I don't think Alan Moore ever intended this to be canon, and so that, which is why they throw in the line that this might not be the, the truth that you're seeing in this movie. But – I, t- I, re- I don't know if it was the way the comic was presented or if they cut stuff out because it's been years since I've read it. But it seemed like the focus was taken away from the Joker, even in the second part of the movie, so that it was split at least equally between Joker and Batman. And it was kind of it kind of seemed like the Joker's origin story and that whole his whole the whole purpose of it showing his origin and, to, and 
how he's trying to prove that anybody can crack that the only thing that separates somebody like him from some from commissioner gordon or batman is one bad day one really bad day that turned everything around for him uh all that seemed kind of dulled in this movie a bit well, it's it you had to watch a half hour of freaking a Barbara Gordon story that totally took the emphasis off of everything that the killing joke was. Even, But even when we got into it, I'm like, okay, I see it. And they're showing the, the backstory, and I kind of like what Mark Hamill, how he's able to fix his voice and sound like a normal person and stuff. And, and you're doing this, and I'm like, it, it just doesn't seem to have the same resonance. I, I liked the movie, too, but it... But if you were to compare this to the original work, it pales in comparison. Mm -hmm. I, I think it seemed uh, – I think every single moment about it, the origin story, the, uh, the uh, shooting, the assault, all of that, there were so many great parts to it. And a lot of that goes to the wonderful voice performances in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it just didn't seem to have – be as powerful. It didn't seem to have the same resonance. Uh, as that original thing, maybe it was because the artwork was so great in the original story. I don't know, but it seemed everything. I noticed that when it was done, like it just seemed dulled from the impact that the original graphic novel provided. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to sit and try and compare the the two anymore. I I kind of just want to look at this as its own kind of thing, and I think. Um, yeah, I think everyone can agree, you know, the graphic novel is an amazing thing. It's, it's beautiful to look at. Uh, the story is very concise and to the point, and it, it, and it tells a good story and has a good point to it. This as, as a just let's look at this as a story in and of itself. It's very unfocused. And it unfortunately, I think the first half or the first 30 minutes really derails the impact of what the second half is, because it is it almost feels like it's trying to do a psycho thing where it's trying to flip the, the main character, which was Batgirl all the way up to this point, And then she gets shot and then it becomes something else. It, it really didn't work for me at, at all in this, but also one last gripe that I have before I start talking about all the really cool stuff I thought was in this movie was, was the animation style in general. I was, I've never been the biggest Batman the Animated Series uh, fan from a, just a pure cartoon, uh, like the artwork uh, no. perspective, because I just think it's really just not visually interesting to me. It feels really simple. And, and this film felt like it, it didn't it wanted to have some of the flash of some of the other Batman animated movies of the last like five, six years. Cause there's some that are really dynamic looking and they're really cool looking. That's the point. And it, and, and, but the thing is it didn't work for me. It looked unfinished. It looked like some of it was super cool looking. And then some of it looked as cheap as a bad, like eighties Japanese cartoon and it just like it did not work for me it, Andrew what did you think of the visual style of this man it's weird that you say that about the I I thought it seemed a little anime like from like uh, 
you know, from, yeah, for late, late eighties or early nineties, um, that it just sort of maybe how, um, remember, uh, Uratsuki Doji, that one, the cr- crazy oh, yeah, tentacle monster yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Those were one of the first like ones for adults that I ever saw. And, and the, the cool, almost like, um, soft focusness of it sort of reminded me of that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I feel that the animation style, yeah, you could thank or blame the fans because they've been wanting an animated adaptation of this ever since Dark Knight Returns was made to an animated movie. And they're like, okay, so we got Dark Knight Returns, never say never. The killing joke is definitely going to be on its way or death in the family or, you know, whatever the case may be. The problem is you have Bruce Tim, and I feel that with the first couple of seasons of the M8 series, that was supposed to be a dedication to the Max Fleischer cartoons of the 30s and 40s with the Superman serials. This one, however, yeah, it, I was really hoping, and, and there were rumors that Brian Bullen's artwork was going to be transitioned into an anime. Maybe that was just too ambitious. I don't know what the budget is at this point or what they could or couldn't do. I think there were three things that I heard. They were either going to make this a motion comic with the original cast and just do the story. They were going to make this an animated movie, which they did, or they were just going to do the Fathom event where they were going to do a radio drama and just have the cast come out for one night, Fathom event it, have them come out and do line reads from, you know, you know, take it out and make it like a radio drama. Sure. That, that's, that's the way that I, you know, those are the rumors that I heard. But this was too ambitious of a project, whether it's 50 minutes or 70 minutes. I th- there are several gripes, and I think the biggest one, this was just too ambitious of a project. But if we can finally get past the first 30 minutes and get into the main event, yeah, I mean, what are the pros? Well, we got Hamill and Conroy back as Batman and Joker for this story, and Tara Reid. You know what? I have to say, once we get into that one moment where she's in the hospital and we see the crazy eyes and and everything that's happened to her and she gives those line reads, those are some great line reads. And and Hamill is just like the way that he plays. I call this character human because it's Joker being human and right before he'll transition to the clown prince of crime. We never know his name. Even if we would have gotten it, you know, it's just one variation. I think how he tries, his version of the Joker is the way that it says on, on Facebook where, you know, um, Cesar Romero is the clown and, um, Jack Nicholson's Joker was, I guess, the artist. Like, and gangster yeah. and stuff, yeah. The gangster, yeah. And Heath Ledger was the anarchist. Mark Hamill, I always felt, was the showman Joker, that he's the one who always wants to get people to laugh. And it's not if you're funnier than him. If you don't get the joke, he becomes insulted because he's trying to do everything. Every time he, he puts on a show for the Mark Hamill – it's a performance. He's giving a monologue. He's doing bits. He, he, he's doing gags. He's even telling, like, uh, what is it, puns, right, bad jokes. He's doing puns. And if you don't like it, he becomes insulted. And if you try to upstage him like Harley did with Mad Love, 
he has a nervous breakdown because like nobody's going to upstage me. It's like, okay, if you remember the movie Laughter on 23rd Floor, Batman is is Lawrence Welk and Joker is Sid Caesar. Lawrence Welk was this entertainer in the Midwest who would play an accordion with bubbles and Sid Caesar was the master of the show your show shows and master of the double take. And it's like he was giving his all and he kept getting upstaged by a guy who was playing an accordion with bubbles and he couldn't understand why. And I feel that that's what this is coming down to with this universe. And so with this story, it's still a show and it's going to be the final performance and, and get your tickets now. And it's a limited exclusive seating. And if you can't get it, you're screwed because back then in the eighties, you couldn't watch anything on Phantom, and you couldn't watch any. And I think that's what it's really trying to say. I thought the animation, though, just really quickly to go back, is I that was the problem with me with the animation is I disagree with you, Derek, on the style of animation in the animated series. I think the style of animation in the animated series is incredible. It was very retro and how they did it. I don't think they were trying to go for that here. I think they were trying to recall more of the re- recent DC Universe animated films. Which, you know, I like them a lot, but let's face it, they do three or four a year, so they kind of churn them out pretty quickly. And they tried to combine that with some of the more iconic images from the graphic novel. And I think it was uh, really disar- – I mean, I think when you saw those iconic images, it was really fantastic. They were some of the most memorable parts of the story. Unfortunately, then they'd go back to the other style of this kind of more assembly line style. Yeah, yeah. And it really made it like stick out like a sore thumb. Like, mm, man, it just doesn't look quite as good, done. <laughs> no, it, it felt very rushed, and it was unfortunate because I thought some of it was super dynamic looking, and it looked really cool. And then other stuff just felt like you said, very assembly line, and it was unfortunate because I think. Uh, if you're going to introduce a style like that, carry it through, carry it through. And I'm sure it's a budgetary thing where, you know, animation's not cheap. For the first two or three seasons was dedicated to Fleischer. Anything past that, they tried to make it modern, which is not as good as I, you know, for me. But the animated movies, I think, have gotten better and better where, the writing there, the, you know, they, they went from being cartoon characters now to living, breathing creatures that are, dare I say it, almost human. It's very hard to make a cartoon character look human. They always seem to have these saucer eyes or the funny noses, and even Pixar can't seem to get it right. Somehow, DC animation with these DCAUs and these DC movies are getting these characters to look more and more human and give them, and and the voice actors are giving them more and more depth that they feel three-dimensional. So I think it helps a better deal that I feel like, okay, it's not a cartoon, but because you can't do most of the stuff in live action, it works. It it would be too expensive for squibs, I guess, or to blow up buildings, or to have a helicopter crash in a building, but hey, you can do it in a cartoon and it just works. I, I almost wish this would have been a live action movie. I, <laughs> to be honest, I, I really, really, really do. Because it uh, the it, that's one of the selling points of The Killing Joke, the original graphic novel. And I said I wouldn't go back to it, but fuck it. The visual style <laughs> is so dynamic 
And unfortunately, the visual style of this kind of fell flat for me. So let's move on and let's talk about the good stuff. <laughs> All the good stuff. <laughs> with Mark the, Hamill. With, with, which is, yes, I think Mark Hamill has a really great performance, but he always has a really great performance. And his Joker character in this, when the Joker is on screen, is sadistic, evil, and unsettling. Andrew, what do you think of Mark Hamill in this? I thought it was cool. You know, the um, when we when we watched the Fathom thing, they had this little interview with him uh, before it, where he got to talk about um, you know his relationship to the character and all the other cool stuff, uh, which I love behind the scenes things with voice actors. Anytime, like all the um, Miyazaki movies that have those behind the mic features with yeah. that talk to the, everybody, that, was, that I, I get so excited to watch those when those movies come out because I'm. I would love to be like a voice actor, man. That's like a, that's probably my dream job actually is being mm-hmm. out, not necessarily comic. I'll do anything, man. Phone messages. I don't care. That would just be to me the coolest thing. But like, uh, I, I really loved how, um, the audience when Joker said or did something that was funny, they would laugh, but then like quickly, just as quickly when he freaked them out, they were audibly like, upset by him so they were never like completely on his side because you know like when we talked about freddie how like the audience was with the killer you know and how like even as he's murdering people you were kind of like you know cheering him on because of the the just the sort of nature of slasher movies but how much of a screwed up thing that is to be doing yeah. and the, the neat thing about joker is that by humanizing him uh, showing the backstory, showing you that he was, you know, and kind of eliciting some sympathy with him. It's screwing with you, kind of like what Joker does to people, you know? It absolutely cool. is, man. That's the thing about the Joker is that as a character, he, you know, you expect him to just, because maybe because we, we grew up on that Cesar uh, Romero, you know, the old uh, Batman TV series Joker where it was just this goofball and running around and all this stuff. But ever since then, when he's been represented, he turns on a dime. And anyone familiar with the comic books of the, of the Joker in the modern era, he is easily one of the hardest characters to you know put a, a finger on because he can turn so psychotic so quickly and it, it it's not just like aggressive psychotic it's disturbing psychotic and uh that's why i think he you know he endures as this character because as a writer it's got to be a, a an insanely fun character to write scott what do you think oh uh, yeah i mean and mark hamill is absolutely the best part of this movie i mean because kevin conroy does a great job uh Tara Strong is a great job. Mark Hamill's Joker is iconic. That is the character. I mean, there have been other people who have voiced that character since then, and I honestly don't have a problem with too many of the uh, different interpretations that I've seen. But that is, is – and I've seen – of course, we've seen the live-action movies. You know, Jack Nicholson was great. Heath Ledger was incredible. But as far as the actual Joker – it's Mark Hamill. And I think the character is so disturbing, so sadistic that it's actually, it's sometimes hard for me to read the comics anymore uh, whenever he's in them, because 
I don't don't know what he's going to do next because every now and then he'll do something that is so disturbing, so sadistic, and he'll do it with a song in his heart, and it is extremely just disturbing. Just I mean, it, it, I mean, it'll, it'll keep you up at night, and uh, there are very few characters from the comic page that you can say that about. You know, and I think that, but I think that he's definitely one of them. Absolutely. He reinvented the joy buzzer. And I mean that literally, especially with the story, because instead of just using the joy buzzer, he has that thumbtack or whatever on his hand. And when he's going to shake hands with that uh, co-owner of the carnival, the guy, you know, as Joker turns away, it's probably the most iconic panel in the book. And even in the movie, they got it right where the guy was on the toy elephant and he got Joker toxin to death. It just shows how Joker was able to reinvent his gadgets and gags. And I guess he's also a magician because apparently he has acid to come out of the top of his cane. But one of my other favorite moments in this movie is when he turns on the lights of the carnival and we just see that smile in his eyes. There aren't any pupils. You know, we, we kind of get like that little 360 shot of him just like standing around smiling. I use it uh, right now as, you know, my profile picture on my Facebook page. But I feel that this had to be animated because I can't imagine of all the actors that I've seen on TV and in the movies, if they would have made this into a movie or a fan film, I don't know who they could have gotten at this point to top what Hamill does because I see documentaries of Hamill in the booth. He's not standing there reading lines. He, he's acting out the moments. He, we see him moving his hands and is twitching his face and doing the voice. It's like I, I can't imagine anything else coming out of Joker's mouth but what Hamill does. Now, I love John DiMaggio when he voiced Joker and Michael Emerson and Troy Baker, but Hamill apparently keeps coming back and we didn't even think we were going to get him for Arkham Knight and he was in that and he was phenomenal mm-hmm. and, which is which is interesting because you speak of continuity another piece of trivia which is interesting they do kind of reenact Killing Joke in a flashback what they do is because Batman's infected by the toxin from Scarecrow he goes to this watchtower, which has another bat cave, and all of a sudden he hallucinates and he's in Barbara's apartment and Joker's there. But because, I guess, of Brian Holland, he didn't they didn't get the permission. He's dressed in clam diggers. He just shoots Barbara, and he goes, oh, your father's going to be so upset when he sees this mess, and he runs away. And then Batman, you, you have him turn around, and the apartment's gone. It's just this brick wall that says – this is what happens when you bring our friend, your friends into this crazy little great game of ours. And I feel that would have been interesting to bring that into the movie than just what we have. But whatever the case may be, it just shows how iconic this has been and how important the story has. Uh, nothing I think has really topped what he's done since. I mean, this is a guy he'll give you a hundred dollars. In one hand, another hand, then bash you over the head with a crowbar. Mark Hamill's the only one I know that can. I mean, I, I guess the final thing I'm going to say, like when when uh, Nicholson tried to do it, it was okay, but Hamill just does it better. 
I don't see why if you're going to do a live action film, you just don't have Hamill do it. I'd love to see what what he could do. I'd love. Right. We haven't even talked about Conroy. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, I do like to try and keep this to be an hour long show, so I don't want to <laughs> talk about every single detail that's going on in this film. But I, I would say the strongest suit of this movie, obviously, is the voice acting talent that was brought in, and um, the thematically, even though we we sat and we bitched for an awful long period of time about the first half of this film. I also think what is being spoken about in this film concerning the characters is haunting and disturbing and very interesting. And this ultimate showdown at the end where Batman and Joker finally sit and meet and uh, they, you know, they have this really, and it's strange to say this, this heart to heart talk with each other at the very end it is a very the the closing of this movie is extremely moving and extremely disturbing all at the same time and when it ended you could hear a pin drop in the theater that uh i was in scott what do you think of the final act of this flick i love the final act i always loved that bit i always thought it was very meaningful and there is still controversy over what happens in the end. Right. But there's a theory about whether this is really the last Joker story. <laughs> Let's just say that. I always thought that it was it was the one moment that I can recall that you actually saw a touch of humanity in the Joker character. Not sympathetic because he has still done unforgivable crimes, but they are closer together than anyone would care to admit. And I still kind of debate in my head what really happens at the end of this. I'm sure that I have friends that would have their own theories and everything about that. It's a, it's a very it's a, it's just this a very effective piece, and of course you end with that wonderful image of just the rain coming down, and. I think it was so such a wise decision in translating this to the um, uh, to a to an actual like you know movie that they didn't add any kind of music or anything right. like that. They, in fact, they almost kind of kept it almost shot for shot from the comic in this. Oh, hundred percent in this one sequence at least. You know, I mean, there's lots of other references and visual references throughout the film. But this one, it seemed like this one was actually they tried to re. They just said, "Okay, we better not mess with this. This is it's too good as is. You're not going to improve on it." And they just left it as is. And I think it's uh, a kind of a beautiful, poignant, ambiguous uh, ending. And uh, I like that they ha- had the balls to end it where they did. Yeah, even though it is. A false ending because then there's another ending tied on to again continuity. There's a credit sequence so they can so they can, you know, and it was I get why they put it there and it wasn't like terrible. But I looked at it and I'm like, okay, that was just so that the audience could leave with feeling a little better about themselves. And you know what? (laughs) I don't think that the killing I think the killing joke is one of those few pieces where. You know what? The audience shouldn't feel better about themselves after it's over. It is a morality tale and it is kind of uh, who's really the bad one here. Is it, is Mm -hmm. it the Joker? Is it Batman? Are they all crazy? What's going on? Andrew, what do you think's going on at the end of this flick? I don't remember. I nodded off a lot. Like near the end. (laughs) 
I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, my final thoughts will be good, but like you could hear me on that podcast. I was barely like, I don't even remember driving home. <laughs> yeah, Andrew did do a great uh, podcast with his friends on the Cinemaphile podcast. Like they're nerds for that stuff, right? I mean, they they really I I, I gave the right people tickets because you know I probably shouldn't have went, but I read the comic when I was a kid. That's why I went. Right. Yeah. I and I think you know what? Cuz cuz we're old men, guys, all of us, we're old men now. Seeing something like this in a movie theater, you know, this is stuff we're so conditioned now to be watching this kind of thing at home that I think it, it, the first half hour kills <laughs> this movie almost for me cuz it could have been an hour and it would have been perfect. It would have been a perfect length for this, but at an hour and a half is a little too long. Um, Jeremy, what do you, what do you think's going on at the end of this flick? Oh, you know, it, it either goes by what, what half the population have said in comic book fans that Batman realizes that he can't save everyone. And if he kills Joker, he's not going to be unhinged and he's okay with it, but he's just going to share a laugh anyway, because he's just taking the horse behind the bar and shooting him. But then again, it's multiple choice, and that's the whole point of this. So you can either think, A, Batman's become unhinged, B, Joker and Batman are just sharing a laugh, C, Batman has snapped Joker's neck, or D, Batman is the true villain, and Joker literally just like in the beginning was just somebody who was just pretending to be Joker. And there's another one just trying to get Batman to figure out who he really is and what's really going on. And you know what? We got a kind of sort of Joker origin. We don't really know what happened with Batman's parents. That's just in his mind. We don't, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's been tons of fan theories that on the Arkham session podcast that Bruce Wayne's parents could have died while vacation in Jamaica and Bruce was left at home by himself. You know, we Bruce is always telling himself this is what happened and there's guilt. We don't really know if that's just his side or not. So it could be where that's the Shyamalan twist, but or it could be all all of the above. People will think what they want to, but I'm just going to say this much right now. Even if Alan Moore didn't hate comic book fans at this point, <laughs> I don't want him to tell me because Joker is set. Once you explain a joke, there is no joke. I don't I want my intelligence to be insulted because that's what keeps the story alive. What happens is Joker tells a very simple joke about people not wanting to be in an asylum. Batman, you know. When he chases Joker, he's going to use his gadgets. He's going to act like a detective. He's not just going to depend on what Joker tells him because Joker is not always honest. So Batman is just going to think of him and said, you know what? I don't trust you with you giving me a light to turn into a bridge or whatever because you're Joker and I'm the world's greatest detective. That's how I take it as. I don't take it as, well, it's a road I can't follow, so – I think that Batman is just laughing because it's like, okay, I tried to be humane, but it's not going to work. So we're just going to go back to basics. That's that's all I think it is. And it's like, you know, it's like that Looney Tunes cartoon with the coyote and the sheepdog where they clock in their enemies. And then when the 
whistle blows, they clock down, they say goodbye to each other like it's a job. That's how I take it as. Yeah, like, that's kind of how I took it as well. This, this is this is just like, you know, see you tomorrow, Sam. See you tomorrow, Ralph. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much all that it is. And you know what? That's what keeps the story alive. And that's what keeps a good joke going because you could change around the opening. You can change around the middle. Hell, you, you don't have to really copyright a joke. You could change around the ending as long as you make it interesting and funny where you still get people to laugh. So you know what? I, I think that just back to basics for these two. Yeah, I, I think I agree with your assessment almost completely. And I think it's kind of the point of the entire movie is that you have these two characters that have reached this point where they know and they keep talking about this over and over again. Batman throughout the entire thing keeps saying eventually one of us is going to kill the other. You realize this. You realize that we just keep going through the same cycles of violence and the same circles of you escaping, me capturing you, you escaping, you hurting someone, me having to hurt people to find you, and then I find you, we hurt each other, and then you go back. And eventually it's going it's we're all we're to the point now where one of us has to kill the other. And I think the ending, I think you nailed it, is literally Batman realizing nothing's going to ever change. No matter how hard I try, this is just another day on the job. And I'm, I am crazy for thinking it's that old, the old adage, you can't teach a, 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 an old dog, new tricks. And the, you know, the, the, what, what was the other adage, you know, uh, the true meaning of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking you're going to get a new result. Mm. It's kind of the kind of what I I came out of this movie uh, and the original reading the book uh, back in the day. What I always thought it was, was Batman's finally just given up. He's looked into that, quote unquote, um, abyss that he talked about earlier in the film. And you know what? Just saying yep. Things are what they are. And so let's just move on. And uh, he's having a good laugh at himself more than anything. So let's go ahead. Let's wrap this up and let's do final thoughts for what we thought of the killing joke. Scotty, I'm going to start with you. Uh, believe it or not, I despite all my the negative things I brought up, I did not dislike the movie, even though it is not quite the great adaptation it could have been. I would put it somewhere in the middle of the DC universe animated films. It's, it's, it's pretty good. The opening bit is, it's well scripted, but it's, but it unfortunately in trying to do something noble, it actually kind of stumbles and kind of wrecks things to come. And there's a lot of missed beats then later when we actually finally get into the killing joke story. Having said that there's still enough from that story, still enough images that makes this movie worthwhile, and Mark Hamill is always going to be great as the Joker. So, you know, it's a hit and a miss, I'd say. Would you recommend people go check it out? Uh, I would. I just wouldn't expect the second coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so. yeah. yeah, totally. Jeremy? Stop me if you heard this one before. Guy has a bad day, goes insane. Another guy goes insane, or maybe he's just masking his personality and his emotions. Joker will always be complex for several reasons. And I think past all the makeup and his bad jokes, I, I think it, in 
he's just as human as we are. We, he just wants us to think. And I think the joke is he never fell in that vat of chemicals. He never had a bad day. He's just pretending. And the joke is, and you know what? I think he's just as sane as everyone else. And, and I think we have to realize that everything that he's made up, that's the joke. And we can take him out and we're not going to want to hinge. I feel that this is the greatest Batman story where Batman is being tested and tested and realizing. And even though Alfred spoiled it and because he barely talks in the book, but he says you can't save everyone. He's right. And I feel that, you know what? Barbara will be okay. Gordon turned out to be, he was stripped down naked and great monologue in the book about Joker comparing, you know, him to the average man, which I don't know why they took out in the movie, but that's a great piece of monologue. And that other one about Joker in the funhouse discussing how one bad day will cause you to crack. I, I feel that you, you really have to sit down and read the book and would I recommend this movie? Why not? I mean, if, if you can pay the 15 or $20 for concessions or whatever, the Phantom <laughs> Pen or whatever, just to see it in IMAX if you're lucky or just buy the Blu-ray DVD for the features, why not? I just don't recommend that first 30 minutes because there's no real point to it. And you're right. Even there's a moment when Barbara is just jogging in the rain and I'm like – Okay, we see her jogging in the rain. What's the point? So I recommend the last 45 minutes. And I also would recommend if you go on YouTube because the podcast no longer exists. Alex Shaw had a podcast where he did a radio drama of The Killing Joke, and it's phenomenal. The book also, there are things I didn't pay attention to until now, and I've been reading for 30 years. So you know what? Splurge. Get the DVD, get the deluxe graphic novel. It is money well spent. Cool, cool, cool. Andrew. My favorite thing about Batman the Killing Joke is that it went to movie theaters. Yes. Uh, because here's the thing. Um, I do not think that uh, the, all the movies from DC that come to theaters and all the movies from Marvel that come to theaters should all be the same. I don't dig it. It's not what I liked about comics mm -hmm. and it's doesn't do anything for me to see everything uh, be homogenized. Like what you were talking about earlier, where you take the whole exciting thing about a comic was that, like, you'd see, Oh, this guy's writing it. Oh, this person is, is doing the art. It's like, Oh damn, that's going to be really cool. But with the movies, you can't say that you're like, Oh, is James Wan going to make Aquaman like a really frightening? Probably not. You know, but it would be neat if he did, right? Like, you know, to find Aquaman, they got to walk through a room full of uh, stuff covered with white sheets or something. You know, <laughs> that was a joke about because I don't like that. But um, <laughs> is he going to fight an invisible yeah. man? But see, when it when it comes to the movies, it's like. It, uh, the Nolan Batman's not my favorite. The Tim Burton Batman is not my favorite of the movies, you know? So I really, I really think that uh, some of the times this stuff takes itself too seriously. We want a variety. That's what's going to keep me going to it. And so I, I think they should put like all the cartoons in theaters. Yeah. I, I think that was probably again, my favorite aspect of this was I got to sit down and see this in a theater. Yeah. Something I never guessed that I would have done. You know, 
And I, I rushed to get there and I didn't make it quite on time, but I saw the vast majority of the film, enough of the film <laughs> to get, get the gist. And I'll probably check it out again. Once I find you missed the, the beginning and I missed the end for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I don't, I don't blame you at all. I don't blame you at all. I mean, no, I get to that it, point. It wasn't a movie. I was just beat. That happens to me sometimes. You know, I always fall asleep usually during like the big CGI space battles, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's all like in space, like they're the big climax. I fell asleep during that part. Um, same thing with um, oh, what was X Men Apocalypse? I start nodding out when everything's blowing up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it, those parts aren't that interesting. Where back in the day we used to clamor for the action scenes. Now we see it so much in these movies that it's not that interesting. It, it turns into some noise for me. So I don't like, man, I think resolutions just kind of bore me. So, <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to recommend people when you get the chance to go check this out, especially if you're a comic book fan, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Is it perfect? No. Was it entertaining? I thought so. I thought it was cool. Um, I, I still have got to get down my biggest gripe of this movie, other than obviously that the long winded, you know, we went on forever about the 30 minutes of this film. Even with that, I think in context of the killing joke, yes, it's horrible in and of itself. It could have been a sh- they could have done a short animated story about that. And I think it would have been OK. I think it would have been fine. But in context of this. No, nah, no, nah, it just it just doesn't work as no point. I mean, it, it, it it's thematically there's some through lines to the killing joke, but overall, it's just kind of pointless. But it has to be the animation style just kind of just did not do it for me whatsoever and it's unfortunate because i love the the dc animated universe i've i watch almost all the movies whenever they come on netflix or they i used to rent them when they came out i just think you know they take the the stuff seriously not seriously in that they're overtly serious like this last the last two movies the man of steel and batman versus superman where those are so serious that there's no humor in them whatsoever i just think they they they're very respectful of the work and that's why the animation, the animated universe, the, those movies tend to be better because they get the characters. They understand what they are and they're able to play around with them the same way the comic books are. So that's why I'm always excited to see these movies come out and to see this in the theater was awesome. Even if I didn't particularly think, you know, the animation was all the stuff. So. Go check it out. Your fan Batman, obviously, you're gonna go see it. I don't. You don't have to. You didn't have to listen to however long-winded this podcast turns out. Four hours. It feels like we've been talking for four hours about the killing joke. The sake. podcast can be longer than the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is gonna be longer than a movie. So, so end of the day, sounds like we all kind of recommend you guys check this out tepidly. <laughs> I mean, don't get your your hopes up. So um, this is the point in the show where we shill the fuck out of you. So I'm going to start with Mr. Scotty D. Go ahead. Tell my listeners where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, you can catch me at uh, Movieocrity.com. You can also catch my web series, Movieocrity, at uh, Vimeo.com slash channels slash Movieocrity. Jeremy, please tell my listeners where they can get all of your stuff. Facebook.com, Hunter Galcast, the group page, The Hunter Galcast, for any friends or family or whatever that you want to promote your stuff. And the Hunter Galcast podcast, Podcasters Cafe, where if you're a podcast or fans of podcasts, you can promote your stuff on there. 
Twitter at Hunter Gowcasts, and of course, where do you find the show? SoundCloud.com, Google Play, Player FM, and iTunes. All one word: Hunter Gowcasts and HunterFeedback at gmail.com. Last but not least, Mr. Gonzarific. Please tell my listeners where they can buy all of your stuffs. Agagonzarific.com. Let me, hey, can I do something different for the yes. end of this, man? Of course. How about, now, if you don't like it, you can cut it out. No, I'm going to leave like, it. I would like for you to, like, find some kind of, like, upright bass, Peggy Lee fever type thing. And I would like to read um, some quotes from my favorite Batman movie, which is Batman and Robin. I want to do all the puns that Mr. Freeze says. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let's let's do this here. Let's start band. My I actually have a backing band. You didn't know this. I never bring them out. But this I've been waiting for this moment, Andrew, because I'm such a huge fan of I'm going to get you, sucker. Yeah. And I always actually have a backing band following me. So, uh, Mr. Uh, so uh, I have this beautiful girl on upright bass right now. Okay, sister, start. Okay, Andrew, go for it. Ice to see you. Everybody chill. You're not sending me to the cooler. Let's kick some ice. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Freeze in hell, Batman. The Iceman cometh. Tonight, hell freezes over. Cool party. Thank you. Find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.